Well, hello, friends. Ryan here, professional life coach, Enneagram educator, and your host for this episode of Forward Bound with the Enneagram. You know, the Enneagram is a powerful tool for building understanding, compassion, and achieving growth in our lives, grounded by nine types or ways that our personalities and egos are structured. The conversations in this podcast are designed to illuminate the Enneagram in action by hearing directly from individuals who are working with the Enneagram and their type in their lives. The views reflected in these conversations are personal, and so what one person shares may not be true for all others who identify as their particular Enneagram type, and that's okay. My encouragement, listen with compassionate curiosity. Thanks for being with us. So today we are getting close to Enneagram type six. This is often referred to as the loyal skeptic. And my guest today is my friend Olivia Beaver, who identifies as an Enneagram type six. Olivia, welcome in. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Are you really happy? So pumped. So excited. On a, on a scale of one to 10, where's the happiness factor on, on being on the old podcast today? Ooh, oh, if we're going to mix it with nerves, it could be lower, but we'll just go with like okay. eight. We'll go with yeah, eight. We'll, we'll get into the nerves thing and like the whole anxiety thing here in a, in a, in a little bit. Yeah, I already gave um, myself away a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's all good. Olivia, if it's okay with you, what I'd like to do is start with uh, a little bit of an introduction to type six for the folks who are listening along with us today. And then I'm really looking forward to getting into a conversation with you to hear about your experience working with and living with type six. Does that work for you? Yeah, sounds great. Okay, right on. Here we go. Let's take a look together at Enneagram type six, often referred to as the loyal skeptic. First, we look at the center of instinctual intelligence for the type. This could be head, heart, or body. Our Enneagram Type 6 friends are what we call a head center type, an instinctual intelligence that arises from their intellectual center. The loyal skeptic's primary way of experiencing and processing the world is through their thoughts and beliefs. The type leads with an analytical, detail-oriented approach, seeking to understand and anticipate potential risks and dangers. Individuals who lead with Type 6 often have a strong sense of responsibility and duty to protect themselves and those they care about. The loyal skeptic embodies a belief system that the world is hazardous, an unpredictable and dangerous place, and so we must always be prepared and alert to potential threats. This can manifest as anxiety and a tendency to worry about the future. And so two primary driving attentions emerge for Type 6. We'll refer to those as safety and loyalty. First, let's look at safety. It is this driving notion to be on the lookout, seeking to avoid potential risks and dangers, and to protect themselves and their loved ones. This can manifest as a strong desire for security and stability in all areas of life, including relationships, career, and personal beliefs. Asked to make a decision or take action, the loyal skeptic may struggle with anxiety and indecisiveness as they weigh the potential risks and uncertainties involved. 
and then this notion of loyalty. For the Type 6, there is great importance placed on relationship to others. Individuals who lead with this type are fiercely loyal to those they trust. Depending on the individual, there may be an emphasis here on loyalty with leadership or with underdog causes. There is the sense that by dedicating themselves to others, that they will attract goodwill, positive regard that aids on the quest for safety. And now, let's look at the virtue for the type, this highest expression of their potential. Think of it as keeping all the gifts for the type, and then also discovering or remembering a truth that has been forgotten along the way. For type 6, we refer to the virtue as courage, the state of being that arises when the loyal skeptic can face their fears and doubts with confidence and strength. It is this quality of inner strength and resilience that allows us to act with conviction and integrity even in the face of uncertainty or risk. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the ability to act in the face of fear. It is a state of being that allows the loyal skeptic to trust in themselves and their own instincts. A remembering and believing, a holy faith in the natural unfolding, that reality will come through for us, support us, and is fundamentally there for us. So I think it is important to remind our listeners and ourselves at this point that this is really just a place from which to start a discovery or a conversation. Uh, no one is a caricature of a type. And so uh, everything that was shared there may or may not resonate for Olivia or for anyone else who is a six, and that is a-okay. Uh, and right now, we want to pivot to really uh, centering Olivia, your experience living with, being with, working with type six. And I think maybe the best place to start is just a really open-ended, what is it like being and leading with type six? Well, um, the more I learn about it, the more intrigued I am by it. But I would say out of the gate, it's stressful. <laughs> <laughs> um, leading and understanding that my natural inclination is to be skeptical and live in this what if land can be really helpful in some situations and really frustrating in other situations. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword and it has its good and its bad, just like most things do. Um, but I think there are moments where I become more frustrated with that tendency rather than leaning into it and finding how beneficial and helpful or how authentic it makes me as a human. Cause that's the inclination. Mm -hmm. And so when you discovered the Enneagram and came to identify with type six, Olivia, what was that experience like for you? Was it an immediate acknowledgement? Was there some wrestling with it? Um, so I learned about the types through a workshop, which was a really good experience because it wasn't, it wasn't a personality quiz. It was very, it felt very organic and very open. 
And the moment I discovered that I, in fact, resonated with the six, everything kind of came into being almost. I was like, oh my gosh, that is me in every single way. Leading up to that, hearing descriptions and experiences of other types, I kept finding myself in them mm-hmm. and going, well, I guess that, well, I mean, I guess, well, maybe that could be me, I guess. Yeah. And then it got to the point in the workshop where we were talking about Enneagram six and the leader of the workshop was so just straightforward and <laughs> said, if you found yourself kind of seeing yourself and all the other types and you wonder, Oh, I guess that could be me. I guess, guess that could be me pause and let's go through six mm-hmm. and tell yeah. me how you feel at the end of it. Yeah. And I was like, well, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Found me. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting journey from, Ooh, I don't know about this. I don't know if this is real. Yeah. Cause it was, a, it was a brand new experience or a brand new understanding to me. And I was like, I don't know. And then all of a sudden things just clicked and personality traits and inclinations and kind of what I lean towards kept getting reinforced out loud of like, well, you could be this, well, you could be this. I'm like, well, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so there, I mean, there's a couple types within the Enneagram where I think that is true for folks that are thinking about, you know, how they identify, but six is definitely one of them. And we talk about the six as a head center type and it's this really active mind and this consideration of so many variables and so many things. And a lot of times I hear from six, this language of, well, it depends. Well, it depends because there's like a scenario and a, and a possibility for almost anything. Is that your experience? Yes, that is exactly my experience. Yeah. Which is wonderful when you are problem solving Mm -hmm. and absolutely frustrating when a decision needs to be made quickly. (laughs) Well, so let's, you know, let's spend a few minutes focusing on the good and the gifts, because one of the things I think happens with the Enneagram is this overemphasis on the negative and the work that needs to happen. And it is true. We've all got it. We've all got our work, you know, to to do. But we also have really beautiful gifts that are innate to our type. And so you mentioned problem solving. Say a little bit more about that. How does that show up for you in ways that are positive and helpful? Well, in in a lot of my professional experiences through different job roles, the longer amount of time that I am in a job, the more people around me discover that inclination to problem solve and to see things from all angles. So in some ways that has allowed me to become an asset for certain professional experiences, especially when it's time to brainstorm and time to kind of look at the forest for the trees, because there are in opposition, there are individuals that can really go kind of zoomed in and very myopic, and that can be super beneficial. And then on the other end, you need that opposition of, can I see the entire picture? And in some ways, the idea of seeing many different angles and different perspectives and living into this, well, what about this? And what if we think about this? Well, oh, we can try that, but it depends on if this and this and this happens. Mm -hmm. You know, all of that can be really helpful in a lot of professional environments when you're trying to create and trying to almost ensure success. That's not always possible, but, but that is 
been really helpful. And there are other times in, in my friendships where it's really helpful. Um, my sister-in-law wanted to go to Disney world for her bachelorette experience, which okay. was a whole adventure in itself. Sure. Um, she asked me to be her maid of honor, which was very nice. And so I was, and we were planning this Disney trip. We were very excited. And my whole time planning it, I was like, okay, we're going to get everybody book bags so they can carry it around. I'm going to get them water bottles. I'm going <laughs> to make sure we have this. And then I was like, oop, not everybody wants a book bag. Maybe they would like a fanny pack. Maybe they would like this instead. Well, will this help this? Will this help this? And so I traveled to Florida with this just arsenal of oh, wow. what ifs for Disney World. <laughs> Nice. Which for the group I was with turned out to be really great because yeah. they were like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Cause I like bought people sunglasses and brought sunscreen and just all of it. Yes. All of the things that in my brain, I was like, I would love to have this. And then we get down <laughs> there and I have this arsenal and they're like, what is in that bag? I was like, let me show you. Mm-hmm. So, so it's in that. a lot of ways, it's, you know, it keeps us ready. keeps us prepared. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and those are great examples of how that's played out both professionally and personally for you, which I think is probably true for most folks who lead with this type. I'm curious, Olivia, how this notion of the sense of um, loyalty that's attached to this shows up for you, or if that resonates, is your connection to the organization or to the person or to the group important for you, your ability to engage in this way? Or are there some situations where you're like, I'm just not even going to worry about it. Do you find that it's hyper-focused in places where you have meaning attached? I think I'm still learning what that looks like for me. Um, In this moment, I'm leaning towards, towards, yes, feeling some sort of connection, feeling some kind of closeness to an individual or to an organization or to a mission Mm -hmm. drives me to be more connected or more engaged or even more excited on a regular basis. Um, I recently started a new job and it's my first job within corporate America, which is a Mm -hmm. brand new experience. I have been in education and nonprofit land throughout my entire professional experience. Okay. And so transitioning to corporate America, the mindset is just different. It's yeah. very different. People are there for different reasons. And so there's not there's not that assumption that everyone is working towards this mission, that everyone is living into this goal. Mm-hmm. Everyone there's a little bit more of a silo of like, well, I work in logistics. I work in finance. I live over here. And there's not this centralized, but we're all working towards this, which is what I have experienced in education and in nonprofit settings is that even though we're siloed and maybe it's a money thing, because, you know, in education and nonprofit, there's no money. (laughs) So so maybe it's like, well, we're not going to get paid very much, but we're all going to do it together. We're all going (laughs) to just go through together. And so maybe it's that. But so I think I'm learning more that maybe I, in some aspects of my life and maybe professionally, we'll see, I, I find value and I gain energy and excitement from feeling connected and feeling like I'm being pulled towards something. Yeah. Nice. Well, when we think about these notions of safety and loyalty as things that can get in the way, you know, when they stop serving us, uh, what comes up for you in, in that space? 
Um, I have definitely sidelined myself from experiences because I get lost in the spiral, get lost in the, well, this could happen. Well, what about this? What if this goes wrong? What if this, what if this? And that has happened in personal experiences that has happened in family experiences. In fact, um, one, one of the things, um, my husband is a person (laughs) is a like, do now think later kind of person, Mm -hmm. which is just the complete opposite of everything that I am in my entire soul. (laughs) So he is a person that loves to engage with new hobbies every 20 minutes, which Mm -hmm. is, so he'll come out with the, the, you know, last year it was, um, was bow and arrow like archery style okay and he's like i bought all the archery stuff and i was like what have you done why did you spend <laughs> all of this money look at this stuff like what we live in a suburban neighborhood like what are you doing <laughs> this is not the hunger games this is not so oh. <laughs> and turned out it was very fun because he was like just try it it'll be great okay. i was so angry i was so grumpy about it but it turned out, it turned out to be a lot of fun. Now, mind yeah. you, it it is now one of the many dead hobbies that live in in our closet. But okay, uh, but it was one of those things that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise. Because in sure. my brain, I would never engage in something that costs so much. Okay. To get so little return, because I would have gone, no, 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 we shouldn't do that. Well, I should use that those funds for this instead. Well, what if this happens? Well, are we allowed to really do that in our backyard? Is that really safe? Well, what about this? Well, what about yeah. this? And so that's just kind of a silly. Yeah. Silly no, I nonsense. think it's actually an instructive example. I'm curious, and it could be on that example, Olivia, or it could be something else. And, and we don't even necessarily have to get into the specifics of the situation, but I'm curious if you could go inside to a place where you have recently been in what you called the spiral. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you could talk to us a little bit about what does the spiral feel like inside? The spiral, mm, it's very interesting because out loud I want to describe it as a spiral and that is very <laughs> unhelpful. <laughs> I think in times when I felt like I'm in the spiral, it has felt like those scenes in movies where an individual is standing still and everything else is moving around them so quickly. Everything Mm. is happening. There's so much around you. You can feel everything, but you're Mm. stationary. You have, you are motionless. You are silent. You are, I don't want to say dissociated because that carries a very Mm -hmm. heavy connotation, but, Mm. but it's just this idea of feeling like everything is moving. Everything around you is moving. You, you feel people brush past you. You can feel everything mm. and you're stoic mm. and stationary. And that is where you remain. Yeah. It's a, it's a very surreal feeling yeah. when you're really moving into that spiral. And is your experience of that, like, where would you place your primary experience of it in your body? In my body, I would, it really it it feels in my head which is so interesting because i'm it's a very head centric yeah. yeah space but i feel it just close to my body close to my head and just feel as though things around me are just very close to my face yeah and and it and if it is in my body it's always moving upward like mm. it's up like it's coming up towards my face and coming up towards 
where I won't be able to control it or I won't be able to hide it. Yeah. And, and I love that you bring that up, Olivia. It's, you said, I, I, it's as if I won't be able to control it, as if I won't be able to hide it, because there is something undergirding in it that's like, let me get control of this. Let mm-hmm. me bring this under control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what about an emotion word that you could associate with the experience of the spiral? Mm-hmm. I mean, my first inclination is overwhelming, but that seem, that almost mm-hmm. feels too vague. Kind of overwhelming, and um, and I'm not sure this might emote, but kind of strangling. Mm. And I'm yeah. not exactly sure if that answers your question. Yeah, well, no, I think it does. And folks aren't going to see, you know, I'm looking at you in the camera right now, and right. listeners are just going to hear the audio. But, you know, as Olivia said, strangling, there was this like hand motion, you know, around the neck, which I think just again reinforces this physical sensation that is this rising in the body that happens. Mm-hmm. In, in these instances. I think this is really instructive. So I want to thank you for going there with me and with us and, and sharing a little bit about that. Yeah. What do you think about this notion of courage? What does that mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> courage is a challenge for me because um, in, in my brain and when I think about courage, courage relies on the idea of stepping into the unknown. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily without fear, not necessarily without trepidation or nerves or anything like that, but just this idea of stepping into something that you may have no idea about being willing to take that step forward anyway. Mm-hmm. And that will, and I imagine for a lot of my experiences and a lot of my past based on my past experiences that will continue to be my struggle is to take the step regardless. Yeah. Are there instances that you could point to where you have played with courage? Maybe you've been forced into it and had a positive experience from it, or maybe you've intentionally decided to step forward with courage. Um, one of the things that I really point to is, um, my relationship with, um, my husband. And that sounds really cheesy, but, um, we were actually just talking this evening about, uh, a fellow couple that we know that, and he made a really interesting point. He said, I feel like they are spouses. Whereas I look at you and I, and I feel like we're partners. Mm-hmm. And that was an angle I hadn't, I hadn't thought of. And that is something that I would not have experienced. I don't think I would have experienced going through my life with a partner if I hadn't taken that step Hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs in any relationship, all that fun jazz, there was a pandemic, things explode, et cetera. (laughs) But I'm at a place in my existence where I feel like I have a partner in life Hmm. and that would not have happened if I didn't decide to just take this step forward with someone that was very sure of themselves very sure that everything was going to be great. And I was like, I I disagree, disagree. Mm -hmm. But to take that step forward anyway, and kind of lead with that courageous idea. Yeah. Allowed me to have this existence that I live in now and this experience where I have a person that I can lean on and can lean on me. And it's a really positive relational experience in a very holistic manner. I mean, 
We yeah. share our, we share a lot of our life other than professionally because we don't work together because that would be a bad idea. But, <laughs> but but like other than that, we share a lot of things and I wouldn't have had that yeah. if I hadn't taken that step. Yeah. And my guess is, Olivia, because you are a human that and because your partner is a human, that that relationship is probably not always picture perfect and nevertheless it is still a really great place and situation for you to be in. Is that a fair representation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that this is a beautiful example of what courage looks like in practice. And maybe that becomes the calling card for you, you know, in the moment, you know, call on that in a moment in your life where you need that courageous, uh, that courageous sense, because you've got the receipts that sometimes it's actually a really good step. It never ceases to amaze me how fast time goes on these episodes. Um, we're coming close to the end of our time. I have one more question that I would love to hear a little bit from you about, which is what are folks misunderstanding about the way type six shows up that you would like the opportunity to correct the record on or to shed some light on for folks. And I think this, we can think about this as instructive for folks who maybe are living with someone who they think leads with six, or maybe they're working closely with someone who they think leads with type six. They're noticing some behaviors. Maybe they're making some assumptions about what those behaviors are. Help illuminate that for us in whatever way makes sense for you. I think one thing that sticks out is this idea of loyalty mm-hmm. and it's, I, I feel like sometimes loyalty gets a little, a little skewed into regard as loyal to a fault will be with you forever through all the storms, through all the stuff. Some of that is true. Some of that is absolutely true. There are people that have, you know, gone through the war with, so mm-hmm. to speak, but loyalty does not mean, does not mean that I don't have a limit. There's only so much so much you can give to a relationship, give to a person, give to an experience mm-hmm. and lean into that loyalty before you have to take a step back and be like, yeah. I'm, I'm out. I'm not, yeah. this is not feeding me anymore. Um, so that, and that's one thing I've experienced. People are like, well, aren't you super loyal? I mean, yes, but <laughs> not if I don't feel that loyalty. If I don't yeah. feel, if I don't feel like it's reciprocated, Mm. I'm not going to be loyal. I'm going to be like, okay, cool. I am not, I don't feel like we're on the same page or we're on the same level. And so I'm going to take a step back. Yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes I feel like loyal gets a little skewed. And then in opposition to me, there are sixes that are completely counterphobic. They are mm-hmm. ready. They're ready to do all the things, face all the fears because they're not going to let their anxiety Right. Take them over. Yeah. And I, and I imagine sometimes individuals that lean into that a little bit more might get left behind in six land because there's so much emphasis on mm-hmm. feeling stuck. Yeah. And yeah. not everybody resonates with that. Yeah. We'll talk to a counterphobic six uh, on another episode. But so, but thank you for bringing that up. And I, and I love this notion of, you know, that the tendency may be for folks to take advantage of that loyalty. And uh, what I'm hearing from you is they're looking for some level of reciprocation on that. It's not, this is not just a one way street. Uh, Is that fair? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, One, just one more question. Actually, I'm curious. um, We spent some really good time talking about this experience of the spiral and 
I'm curious if you have any words of wisdom for folks who witness, who are witness to A6 in spiral. What is a mm-hmm. helpful and supportive way to be with you when you are in that place? When I've been in that place, what I've found to be the most helpful is for someone to allow me <laughs> to continue to ask the questions and continue to rehash, reevaluate, re go through the process again, because there are moments where no matter how many times I think about a situation or I think I have it figured out, I have this inclination to go, but what if this happens? What about this? Well, what about this? What if this happens? What's next? And it, and to an outside person, that sounds like a lot that is Mm -hmm. heavy. And there's this idea that they need to provide me with all the answers that Mm -hmm. it's their job. Like they're asking me these questions. I have to fix it. I have to, if I give them the right answer, they will stop asking the questions. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case. It's very rarely the case. There is no right answer. Very rarely. A lot of the times when you're in that spiral, you just need someone to be there to, to say that it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be overwhelmed. It's okay to feel concerned. It's okay to wonder. Yeah. But and then also in the same breath go, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. You can have both. Thank you for sharing that. It's one of my greatest hopes with this podcast that folks might begin to lead in their lives with a bit more compassion for the way we all are moving about with our own patterns, um, which sometimes are really beautiful gifts and sometimes get in the way. And it's like, what does it look like for us to be gentle with each other regardless of how it is showing up at that moment, like, let it play out. It will, (laughs) this will pass. It will. It always Um, does. Even when it feels like it won't. Yeah. Well, and there's, in my experience with sixes, there's fabulous, beautiful sixes in my personal life. And it's like, there are unexpected gifts in that. Even when you think that it is a spiral, Mm -hmm. truthfully, there are. So I say to you, Olivia, thank you for who you are and how you lead and show up in the world. What goodness other uh, that we've not covered or insights do you have that you were hoping you might have a chance to, to share with our listeners today? I think with living in six world or really any Enneagram type is recognizing that it's not supposed to It's not supposed to be a one size fits all. It's not supposed to put you in this tiny box and that's the only place you can live. That's not its intention. That's not how it's designed. It's to help you understand yourself better. And I think while the the Enneagram with some people that I talk to is very popular and they're very excited to learn more, more, I've encountered others that are like, oh, just another personality quiz. Or I know my Myers-Briggs, that's the same thing. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> but, but this idea that this is kind of a new, new for some, new world, new opportunity to prioritize yourself mm-hmm. and learn more about yourself so that in addition to showing up for others, you can show up for yourself on a daily basis. Because that's what we're here for. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Olivia. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
Uh, it uh, truly was was my pleasure, and I know that this uh, what you've shared has been a gift for folks that are listening along. So on behalf of them, I also say thanks, and I hope I can hit you up to come back another time. We're going to start with season two, pulling multiple folks into a conversation together about how types intersect and interact. And so maybe you'd be up for a for a return call. Yeah, sure. That okay, sounds fun. Cool. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. Be well, and uh, we'll talk soon. Wonderful. Bye-bye. We hope you are taking away a new learning or insight today, maybe about yourself, someone in your life, or both. If so, time well spent. And if you are ready to explore this work on a more personal level, I invite you to be in touch. Visit us on the web at forwardbound.com. That's F-O-U-R. W-A-R-D-B-O-U-N-D.com. There you can learn more about our coaching and Enneagram education work and schedule yourself for a free of charge discovery call. Finally, we look forward to welcoming you back for another episode of Forward Bound with the Enneagram very soon. Again, thanks for spending this time with us. Be well.